1: Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this
2: wall. George W. Bush.
3: I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you.
2: And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level Roger Stone.
1: All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.
2: Welcome. This is Roger Stone, and this is indeed The Roger Stone Show. On 77 WABC Radio, we are the crown jewel of AM radio, and every Sunday between 4 and 6 p.m. Eastern, we bring you a mix of news, politics, history style, and of course, food. So don't touch that dial. For those of you who aren't in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area where I grew up, you can always... Catch up with us because we're live-streaming worldwide at wabcradio.com, so check it out. The United States Supreme Court this past Thursday agreed to hear President Donald Trump's claim of presidential immunity, which he has asserted in both of the federal cases against him. I refer, of course, to the so-called Documents case in which he stands accused of retaining top secret uh, and classified documents uh, after his presidency, documents that he maintains under the 1997 Presidential Records Act, he was entitled to keep. In fact, he in- claims that he's entitled to determine what presidential documents from his term he is allowed to keep and which he must return or should return to the government. And also the so-called January 6th case where he is charged essentially with obstructing an official proceeding. It is notable in the January 6th matter that the president uh, and, uh, others have not specifically been charged uh, with the crime of insurrection. David Schoen, who is one of the most prominent criminal defense attorneys in the country, uh, who represented President Trump in the second impeachment proceeding on the floor of the U.S. Senate, joins us today to talk about what this means, how it will change the timing uh, of uh, the tsunami of lawfare filed against Donald Trump. See, this is really all about timing. Even CNN and the New York Times editorially criticized special counsel Jack Smith for his effort to hurry this along so that the trial can be had prior to the next presidential election. These are monumental and important, significant constitutional issues that very really are going to have impact on future presidents, and therefore, I argue, as uh, does attorney shown later in the show, uh, that it's better to do it right than to do it fast. Now, did your cell phone go out last week? Many, many people I know had a cell phone outage. Uh, it lasted most of the day. But do you know why that happened? No, uh, either do I. That's why Colonel John Mills, who is a national security expert, the former director of cybersecurity policy strategy, as well as international affairs for the U.S. Department of Defense, joins us. Colonel Mills is now retired, and he's going to give us his insights into not only that uh, loss of cell service, but the broader dangers and vulnerabilities of uh, our power grid, uh, what's going on in the world, both in the Middle East and in the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, so you're not going to want to miss that. And then Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth of the Revival Church in Pittsburgh and Fort Worth, Texas, has just returned from our southern border at El Paso. He's going to talk to us about what he has seen. Uh, I find it really shocking Uh, This last week to read a piece in The Atlantic, uh, which tells us that some Democrats are already conspiring to block Donald Trump from the White House if the Supreme Court doesn't rule him constitutionally ineligible uh, to be president. Now, that specifically is a reference to the so-called Colorado case. Uh, This is a case in which Colorado, uh, as in many states, uh, has ruled at the level of their Supreme Court uh, that Donald Trump is not eligible to be on the ballot as a candidate for president because it is the claim of the Colorado Supreme Court that he engaged in insurrection, the crime of insurrection. Uh, in fact, uh, of course, he has no conviction for insurrection uh, in any state or, uh, more importantly, uh, federally, where I believe it must be done. But last Friday, The Atlantic, which is a far-left, uh shall we call it, propaganda outlet, published an article explaining how Democrats could disqualify Trump if the Supreme Court doesn't their plan is kind of shocking. Uh, They say if the Supreme Court doesn't give clear guidance, in other words, the outcome that the Democrats are looking for, uh, according to them, House Democrats are saying that they might not certify the election of Donald Trump on January 6th. Let's think about that for a moment. In other words, if Donald Trump wins the election and he garners the 270 electoral votes necessary to win the presidency, uh, and the Electoral College is poised to certify this election, the Democrats are talking about blocking such certification. Wait a minute. Isn't that exactly the crime that they are currently accusing President Trump himself of? Earlier this month, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case called Trump versus Anderson. This is the case that stems from that Colorado Supreme Court ruling I spoke about a moment ago, which ruled that Trump was constitutionally ineligible for the presidency. In the hearing, which was just a few weeks ago, the justices appeared highly skeptical of that argument. Uh, And many legal scholars have uh, opined that they expect the U.S. Supreme Court to rule unanimously in Trump's favor. That would have the effect uh, of essentially ending all of these disputes in what I now believe are as many as 18 states where there is an effort to bar Trump from the ballot. How odd. They accuse us, Republicans or Trump supporters, uh, of being anti-democracy, a threat to democracy, but what could be more anti-democratic than a free, fair, honest, transparent election? Uh, In the case uh, cited by The Atlantic, Democrats would have to choose between confirming a winner that Many of them believe, interesting word, is ineligible or defying the will of the voters who elected him. Democrats, the Atlantic says, have a serious chance of winning a majority in Congress next November, uh, even if Trump does capture the presidency on the same day. If that happens, they could have the votes to prevent him from taking office. Gee, under the standard used by special counsel Jack Smith, that would actually be a crime. Now, the Atlantic said they spoke to top House Democrats who, in their words, would not commit to certifying a Trump win, specifically absent uh, a ruling on Trump's eligibility. Quote, that would be a colossal disaster, said Democrat Congressman Adam Schiff. He's one of my real favorites, as you might imagine. Uh, Neither Schiff nor Congressman Jim Clyburn nor the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, a New Yorker, would commit to certifying Trump's potential victory if the Supreme Court doesn't rule uh, against his being on the ballot. I'm not sure how The Atlantic or anyone else reading this article or even considering this argument could not see the stunning hypocrisy. Despite having left open the possibility of challenging a Trump win, the Democrats shudder at the potential repercussions uh, of a Trump presidency. He'll be a dictator, they say. He'll... Prosecute his political enemies, they say. He will lock up those who seek to protest, they say. Uh, he will uh, censor and cancel and silence those who disagree with him, they say. This is uh, right out of Saul Rules for Radicals. It is absolutely true on an ongoing basis that everything they accuse Trump of, well, it turns out to be exactly what they themselves are doing. Congressman Jamie Raskin, uh, a man who specifically uh, defamed me in the January 6th committee, uh, said, and I quote, we might just have to decide that this is something we need to be prepared to do in the event that Trump wins. The hypocrisy is up to my knees. Speaking of the efforts to remove Trump from the ballot, incredibly after the Illinois State Elections Board voted unanimously unanimously to allow Trump to be on the ballot, a Cook County traffic judge Judge Tracy Porter ruled late last week that Trump could not be on the ballot. That's right, you heard me correctly. A traffic judge, Judge Porter, who presides over cases in the traffic division uh, of the Cook County uh, judicial system, has, with this single ruling, catapulted herself into the center of the entire national debate regarding the eligibility of presidential candidates. Perhaps uh, Judge Porter was looking for her 15 minutes, but she most definitely got it. Once again, she bases her ruling on her opinion that Trump engaged uh, in insurrection on January 6th. Uh, That's uh, using an interpretation of the 14th Amendment, Uh, and of course, it was met with immediate conservative critics, uh, as well as a strong statement from the Trump campaign themselves. Uh, What's interesting uh, is the question I don't have an answer to is whether the Trump campaign or the Republicans went into court almost immediately to seek a federal injunction to enjoin the state of Illinois based on this decision by a traffic court judge. As I said, the decision came on the heels of the Illinois State Board of Elections, whose determination that it lacked the authority to remove Trump from the ballot based on the events of January 6th, just days earlier. So the traffic judge's ruling not only contradicts uh, the previous stance, but it also positions her ruling as a pivotal moment in this ongoing debate. Uh, If her goal was to get media attention, well, she certainly did that. I got a very nice letter after last week's show from Antoinette Lobiando of Margate, New Jersey, who wrote to thank me for pointing out the difference between actual authentic San Marzano tomatoes, which I always use in the various recipes that I have given you here on the Roger Stone show. This is our recipes handed down from my mother uh, and from my grandmother to my mother and from her mother uh, and on down the Corbeau family line. But uh, Antoinette Lobiando of Margate, New Jersey writes, thank you so much for pointing out the difference between real San Marzano tomatoes and, quote, San Marzano-style tomatoes, I never knew. Therefore, when I went to the market, I was sure to get the real thing. And you're right. It makes an extraordinary difference. You should write a cookbook. Wow. Now, there's a very good idea. And I am going to write a cookbook. Uh, right after I finish my next book. My next book has to do with the uh, attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan. See, I have a lot of questions based on my research over uh, that assassination, which took place in early 1981. John Hinckley Jr., Uh, who was convicted of the attempted murder of Ronald Reagan, uh, was crouching in front of Reagan and at all times shooting from a, a lower position, shooting upward. All four of the bullets discharged by Mr. Hinckley, who, by the way, was only recently released from prison, are accounted for none of those four bullets hit Ronald Reagan. I do find it odd that the official investigation report on the attempted assassination of Reagan has never been released. And therefore, we're supposed to take the government's word for it. Actually, a brief statement uh, by Vice President George H.W. Bush that there was no Conspiracy. Uh, There's a lot more to this story, and I'll tell you the rest of it when we come back from this quick commercial break.
1: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.
2: Welcome back. This is The Roger Stone Show. I was telling you about my next book about the assassination attempt on President Ronald Reagan. I had the high honor of working for governor, later President Ronald Reagan, in his 1976 campaign uh, when he challenged uh, Gerald Ford for the Republican nomination, yet again in 1980 when he was elected at that time as the oldest president in our history, also among the most successful, Uh, and then yet again working uh, as the Northeastern Regional Political Director in his 1984 re-election. Now, while John Hinckley Jr., the man who was convicted uh, and incarcerated for the attempted murder of Reagan, uh, shot four bullets, all from a crouching position, uh, Ronald Reagan was hit from behind uh, and above. Doctors, uh, At George Washington University Hospital, where, by the way, there was a substantial delay in his arrival. I have not yet figured this out. There is still one living Secret Service agent, now retired, who I'm seeking an interview for for my book. Uh, But there was evidently a debate uh, within the uh, Secret Service detail as to whether to take. Reagan to Bethesda Medical Center, where the uh, autopsy of President John F. Kennedy took place, or whether to take him to uh, George Washington University Hospital. Mm-hmm. James Brady, who was the uh, prospect spokesman for President uh, Donald Trump, uh, very tragically among those uh, who was hit by one of Mr. Hinckley's four bullets, actually hit in the head but survived, actually arrived at George Washington University 15 minutes sooner than Reagan. No explanation for that. Now, when the doctors got Reagan to George Washington University Hospital, despite they had the fact that they found an entry wound uh, on his chest, just below the left nipple, um, they could not, using an x-ray, find a bullet. This confounded the doctors, but the uh, several x-rays showed uh, that there was no bullet, and they were preparing to sew the president back up when one of the surgeons decided that perhaps more exploration was in order, uh, he ordered uh, the incision uh, around the wound made larger, and he actually began a digital examination, uh, and he came up with uh, a projectile the size of a dime uh, that is called a flechette. Now, uh, in his uh, book, Killing Reagan, Bill O'Reilly claimed this was a flattened bullet, uh, and there is a a claim that this bullet ricocheted off the windshield of the presidential limousine. I think that's kind of like the single bullet theory involved in the JFK assassination. Uh, But uh, I believe that the uh, flechette, uh, which I trace to a weapon Uh, that became public during the church committee hearings in the late 1970s uh, is the product of a specific weapon uh, developed by the Central Intelligence Agency. You can go to the hearings. Uh, There's actually a juncture in which I believe Senator Frank Church of Idaho holds the weapon up for the hearing. Uh, It shoots a noiseless projectile. It was specifically designed for the purposes of assassination that would of course mean more than one shooter that would of course mean uh, a conspiracy now judy woodruff uh, i believe now with uh i think then with nbc i think now with npr uh, actually reported seeing a second man uh, on the balcony uh, of uh above the entrance of the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C., right off Connecticut Avenue, uh, where Reagan was wounded. You can look uh, for that news report on YouTube, but I can already tell you, you won't find it. I, however, have retained a copy of it. So uh, that will be my next book. Now, when I wrote my first book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy... The Case Against LBJ, I took it to six individual publishers, all of whom told me that it had no commercial appeal, that no one would buy it, Uh, and uh, I finally found a brave publisher, Skyhorse Publishing, uh, and it very quickly became a New York Times bestseller. So I'm hopeful for this new book, Uh, And I wanted to give you a kind of a a status report on how it's coming. There's a lot more here. John Hinckley, Sr., father of John Hinckley, Jr.'s energy company, Zapata Oil, pardon me, Vanderbilt Energy, was bailed out by Zapata Oil. That is the oil company owned by George H.W. Bush. There's also indications that Hinckley, senior, uh, owned a series of refugee camps. He had a very lucrative contract uh, with the Department of Defense. Uh, And I can uh, now prove that not only uh, did John Hinckley Jr. go to one of these camps, which I really think are Central Intelligence Agency training camps, uh, but that Mark David Chapman, Laver accused and convicted of the murder of Beatle John Lennon uh, was also at the same time at the same camp. A lot of questions here, folks. So uh, I hope to get that wrapped up by the summertime, uh, but uh, we shall see. Writing a book is far, far more difficult than you think it is. But to Antoinette Lobiondo, Thank you for your suggestion. When I finish this book, I'm indeed going to work on a cookbook of family recipes. A very special shout-out today to baby John Delutro, the king of all cannoli. He was one of our very, very first guests here on The Roger Stone Show. He joined us to tell us about the history of the cannoli, Uh, He is the proprietor of the Cafe Palermo. Uh, He is recovering from very serious surgery. So our prayers uh, go out to baby John Delutro for a speedy recovery. Also surprising, some news uh, from my own lawyers uh, this week. Uh, We knew that on November 3rd of 2020, Long after uh, I had uh, been pardoned by President Donald Trump uh, for the crime of lying to Congress in my voluntary testimony before the House Intelligence Committee regarding Russian collusion, which never actually happened, that the US Justice Department put out a press release, uh, which in essence said, quite briefly, Uh, that uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller did his best to sugarcoat this, but that he had actually found no evidence that I had engaged in Russian collusion, or WikiLeaks collaboration, or for that matter, any other crime. After you've lost your home, your savings, most of your insurance, Uh, your ability to make a living, uh, because uh, I was gagged both before, during, and incredibly after my conviction, which is virtually unheard of and I think pretty clearly unconstitutional, I've never really had the chance to tell my side of the story. My lawyers, uh, three and a half years ago, requested from the government uh, the 13 unredacted pages of Robert Mueller's report. They have not been forthcoming, that is, until now, when they finally released those documents to my lawyers. Uh, And they said, in short, that Mueller's office determined that it did not have admissible evidence that there was probably sufficient, uh, pardon me, evidence that was probably sufficient to obtain or sustain a Section 1030 conspiracy conviction of WikiLeaks, Assange, or Stone, because the foregoing theory of conspiracy liability depended on proof of an agreement, whether express or tacit, and would require evidence of knowledge on the part of the conspirators that a criminal objective conspiracy uh, had not been completed. Uh, The documents we received from the government said, with respect to WikiLeaks and Assange, this office determined the admissible evidence to be insufficient on both the agreement and knowledge of such conspiracy. Specifically, they say, many of the communications between the GRU That would be Russian intelligence uh, and stone, uh, pardon me, and other actors occurred via encrypted chat. That, uh, in turn, uh, as it says, uh, although such conspiracy can be inferred from those circumstances, the lack uh, of these contents of these communications would hinder the office's ability to prove that WikiLeaks was aware of and intended to join a criminal adventure comprised of the Russian hackers. Uh, Interestingly enough, and most importantly, their final report said that they could not document the assertions of conspiracy theorists Jerome Corsi, uh, that at Stone's request, he reached out to Assange on October 7th, 2017, the day of the Access Hollywood Water Day tape of Trump was made public. We could not establish that Corsi actually took any of those steps, the report says. So, ladies and germs, I feel exonerated, and I'm very pleased to be with you. On this beautiful Sunday afternoon Right here on The Roger Stone Show Don't go away Because we'll be right back
1: This is The Roger Stone Show On 77 WABC
2: A man who's gone through hell But he's kept going And he's smart And he's strong And people love him Not everybody But people love him and respect him Roger Stone Now, here's Roger Stone Welcome back, Uh, this is Roger Stone and you're tuned in to The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC. Now would be a superb time for you to go to the App Store and download the 77 WABC radio app to your cell phone so you don't miss any of the outstanding programs that we bring you, whether it is talk or whether it is entertainment. There is no better lineup in AM radio any place on the place of the globe uh, than 77 WABC. Uh, If you are among those whose AT&T cell service went out uh, several days ago, uh, and like me, you still don't know why, well, perhaps uh, we can get an opinion on that. Joining me now, uh, Colonel John Mills, uh, a national security professional. He is the former director of Cybersecurity security Policy Strategy and International Affairs at the U.S. Department of Defense, and he is currently a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Colonel John Mills, we are honored to have you join us today.
4: Oh, thank you, Roger. Always an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much.
2: So uh, that is is the hot topic of the week. A lot of things I, I want to ask you about. Uh, I, wish, I wish I had time to ask it all, but uh, let's move right ahead. Um, I was pretty surprised to get up in the morning and find that I had no cell service. I thought it might just be a local tower, maybe the connection uh, in my building, only to learn that this was a very, very wide spread development. Uh, and I've never seen any satisfactory explanation from our government. Uh, what do you think happened here?
4: Yeah, hey, Roger. I, I think all of this is connected and linked together uh, with different Chinese in what we would call uh, inside intrusion sets. Which goes back, we've we've heard maybe Volt Typhoon. I'm not sure I've heard Volt Typhoon connected with the AT&T breach, but it should be because uh, the AT&T, the cell phone network, that is critical infrastructure. And that is exactly what the Chinese hackers are going o- a- after in Volt Typhoon, which was first publicly announced May of last year. Uh, identified inside of net- critical infrastructure inside of Guam. Why is, Ch- why is China doing this? They are pre-placing malware to shut down, disrupt, and rearrange critical infrastructure on command when the big show happens in the Western Pacific. So this is all connected, and uh, FBI Director Ray. Uh, DHS uh, CISA director Jen Easterly in, in December, January, and February have been quite colorful in their uh, theatrical renditions of the effects of Volt Typhoon. But I think it is real, despite uh, uh, we have concerns over their trustworthiness and are they using capabilities to spy on the American citizen. But it's all connected.
2: The Chinese continue to make provocative noises regarding Taiwan. Uh, The idea that the Chinese would seek to invade or take control of Taiwan under a president, Donald Trump, I believe is unthinkable, largely because Trump always understood the value of unpredictability as a foreign policy asset. How serious, uh, Colonel Mills, do you think the Chinese are about Taiwan? And how do you see this playing out? Well,
4: yeah, under foreign policy and foreign relations is all about clarity resolve and use of all instruments of national power, dime fill, diplomatic, information, military, economic, finance, intelligence, law enforcement. The blue team seems to only understand the M instrument of national power. However, it's the all important economic finance and Donald J. Trump and Peter Navarro know this so well and they knew how to shut down the Chinese and Russian adventurism. I think what's gonna happen here, the storm season starts in April. It goes till October. They don't have to they don't wanna have to deal with Hurricane T or Hurricane Trump in November. I think they are gonna go after Kinmen, which is the forward island of Taiwan. We need to treat that as the West Berlin of this Cold War, hopefully not becoming a hot war, but very likely to become a hot war. Treat Kinmen, that forward island that's literally 4,000 feet away from mainland China. They're gonna try to strip that away. It'll just get lost in the noise. Well, hey, this this isn't Taiwan. This is just a small forward part of Taiwan, who cares? Well, it's all important. And we now have announced we have a base on, Ty- on Kinmen uh, and two more bases in Taiwan, one on the Pengu Islands right off of Taiwan and then one on Taiwan proper. But we now have a special operations base on Kinmen to deter. But I think they're going to make a move on Kinmen as their first step. Uh,
2: last week, I was watching Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina on the Senate floor, uh, I think, you know. A- tweet uh, on X Uh, I called him an unprintable name we won't go into that right now Uh, but he insisted that the Ukrainians are quote winning their war against Russia now I understand there's an enormous amount of war propaganda in our legacy media that might lead some who are either not paying attention or really don't understand the dynamics of the situation to reach that conclusion uh, my friend, General Michael Flynn, also Colonel Douglas McGregor, who I have huge respect for, uh, as well as having read some of the things you have written, don't seem to agree with that. Uh, Colonel Mills, uh, tell us what you think the current state of play is between Ukraine and Russia.
4: Thank you, Roger. I am strictly agnostic and nonpartisan in this. My policy has always been consistent. Give Ukraine enough resources for a fair fight. That point was reached over a year ago. We need an inspector general, a dedicated inspector general to to uh, root out fraud, waste and corruption. We need to secure our southern border, free the J6ers and rebuild our armaments for everybody, including ourselves, Israel and Taiwan what's going on in in ukraine is i would say on the ground a stalemate in the air ukraine has been extremely effective at shutting down the air uh, the russian air force and just shot down another one of their very expensive and they only have like about 5 of these left but they just shot down another one because they just shot one down a few weeks ago their big airborne warning and control it's a big radar airplane it was deep inside of russia they were able to shoot it down i think they used a drone with an air-to-air missile which what is that has implications for china and taiwan we flood uh in case of conflict we flood the airspace in china with drones with missiles it'll be a very bad day but in the air ukraine has been quite effective at shutting down the air force on in the ocean Again, Ukraine has been quite effective at obliterating the Russian navy, but on the ground, it's a stalemate. Uh,
2: what do you think of the uh, proposal to send uh, another ninety-five uh, million? I believe it is uh, yeah. to 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 uh, uh, to Ukraine. Given the uh, somewhere between two hundred and fifty and two hundred and eighty billion, we have already sent them.
4: Yeah, 95 million i think uh, there's there's a b in there uh, Pardon
2: me. i, I misspoke <laughs> i apologize 25 bil, 95 billion my
4: apologies oh, no no problem um hey my policy is very clear on this a dedicated inspector general it can't be the defense department of defense inspector general Inspector generals are are badged and armed they are law enforcement officers so Dedicated inspector general to oversee and root out fraud, waste, and abuse. They were very effective in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, uh, rooting out fraud, waste, and abuse. Uh, Must secure our own southern border. Must free the J6ers. uh, Must ensure that Israel and Taiwan and our own military get everything they need, which means spinning up our industrial base, which the Biden team has failed to do despite over two years of working this issue then we can talk about more aid for Ukraine.
2: Uh, That's a a, a very uh, broad proposal. makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Colonel Mills, what do you think the state of readiness of our current military? Has our military indeed been decimated by woke culture? I mean, in my view, during the Obama years, many in the top and middle levels of our military who were not globalists, Uh, Some who were just honest, non-political, by-the-book soldiers, others of whom may have had a harder view towards uh, the threats posed to us, to this country, by both China or Russia, were retired from the system. Clearly, we are having a recruitment problem in our military. Of that, there can be no doubt. So what is the state of readiness of our current military?
4: I think it is a disgrace and a shambles and we have a general officer corps and which which includes generals and admirals uh, and senior career executives career executives that need to be Uh, replaced in mass upon a a new administration. Uh, This wokeness issue, the Secretary of the Army, uh, Christine Warmoth at first ignored it, then made fun of it. Now she's angry about it. Look, we're down almost, the the Army's supposed to be 495,000. We can't even hit 435,000. That's a 60K delta in recruiting and retention. That's pretty significant. Okay. Um, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's not been like this since the early seventies and the start of the all volunteer force. It is dangerous. This wokeism is, is serious. It's toxic. It's a cancer. And we have to have honest discussions about this, but just my, my metric and gauge of LinkedIn, there's been several, uh, active duty, but also retired generals and admirals that have been mouthing off on this topic and, you know, you know, uh, clutching pearls about a return of Trump and one admiral who I happen to know, uh, I, I wrote respectfully back to him and said he was a great vigilante pilot, That's from the Vietnam era, for those who remember what a a Navy flyers, who remember what a a vigilante is, a large supersonic attack bomber. He was a great vigilante pilot, but he caught his tail hook on wokeism and globalism. So, yes, we have a serious issue, and this has to be absolutely rooted out upon a new administration.
2: Uh, It was reported several months ago that the Chinese had located a major spy station in Cuba. It's amazing how quickly this story was in and out of the news. It seemed to me to be a one-day story, actually. Now, I'm old enough to remember the national tumult over the fact that the Russians had placed missiles in Cuba in 1962. Uh, Is it not reasonable to expect or believe that if the Chinese are unimpeded in running a spy station in Cuba that they may ultimately, or perhaps even now, mount missiles there as well.
4: You know, Roger, that this is an absolutely reasonable concern and it's more evidence that our intelligence community is focused on transgender recruiting and every crazy Thing possible except doing what they're supposed to be doing which is protecting America I think it's what happened uh, what you brought brought up was a gr- was a, a disturbing episode on you know it had already been announced they were reopening I say it was never closed the old Russian base at Lourdes, Cuba 90 miles from Key West I happened to be in Key West right when this story was breaking and did a number of reports from there uh, I think it's absolutely reasonable but on the, blinken went to ch- China as part of his leg of the groveling tour he he got uh, absolutely roughed up on his in flight on the way back to America China announced yep we're not only reopening the spy base but we're also doing military training in Cuba I think your your observation and concern is absolutely reasonable if they say spy base And military training, they very likely are going to put up an air defense umbrella. And in the modern time, these these air defense missiles can be used defensively and offensively these these are the S300 S400 long range missiles they can they can hit an an airliner over or coming in or departing Orlando halfway up the Florida peninsula these are offensive they can reach out strike down but also hit ground targets So I think right now, a screaming priority, a screaming alarm bell is for the intelligence community to apportion resources above the cut line of the intelligence community collection stack and determine, do they have missiles in Cuba? I think it's very, very likely they do.
2: Uh, Colonel Mills, I saw last week that you raised the issue of Robert Malley. Robert Malley is a Uh, U.S. State Department official whose security clearance has been suspended uh, because of his connections to Iran. Uh, The federal government isn't telling us much more than that. Uh, This is shocking to me. I think this may be the single greatest spy scandal in U.S. history, Uh, Since the Alger Hiss scandal, Hiss was a Russian communist who infiltrated the federal government during both the Roosevelt and Truman administrations. By the way, when the Soviet Union ultimately fell and KGB records became available, we learned for a certainty that young Congressman Richard M. Nixon was absolutely right and that Alger Hiss was indeed a Soviet spy. Uh, Explain the Malley controversy to us. Rob Malley, which I'm looking at the website, he's officially
4: still on the U.S. Department of State website as the special envoy for Iran, although he appears to be on unpaid leave of absence, I just saw a report that he was working. He was lecturing for a university, I guess, to get some money while he's on unpaid leave. But his two lieutenants appear to still be in this in the Department of Defense. He was the lead under by uh, Obama for their uh, approach to Iran, which I think is absolutely insane sane, uh, irrational, and rewards them for bad behavior. Behavior. He is this aficionado who just seems to have something about, he loves Iran and who knows how many ways uh, that, what that means. But so, and he was the one who was brought back by Biden to reopen the Iran discussions out of our uh the State Department, DOD offices that are separate from the embassy in Vienna, Austria. It's a great gig. You know, all the all the careerists and the deep staters want to have a gig in Vienna. It's a great gig. Uh, who's in that exact same building that we have several floors on? Huawei. Boy, what a coincidence. So Mali's apparently on unpaid leave, but he's still on the Department of State website. He's a spy for Iran. Biden brought in a spy for Iran, and uh, yeah, where is the you know, they're spiking the story on this one? Uh,
2: it is uh, amazing, but of course now you can understand uh, why this administration has made a decision. Uh, this is based on the Wall Street Journal uh, to unfreeze one hundred billion dollars in assets for the Iranian regime. This is based on a belief that the Iranians can absolutely be trusted to use that money solely for humanitarian purposes uh, and uh, uh, that that money will not be used either to expedite their nuclear weapons development program uh, or to be used uh, to uh, finance Hezbollah uh, and Hamas, uh, who are, of course, radical Islamic terrorist groups. If you're just tuning in, folks, uh, we are talking to Colonel John Mills. He is the author of an amazing new book, War Against the Deep State. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Uh, we are honored to have him with us. Once again, you can listen to this great interview and all of our programming by going to wabcradio.com where we are live streaming worldwide i'm roger stone this is the roger stone show we'll be right back with colonel john mills
1: this is the roger stone show on 77 wabc
2: this is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC, and we're back with uh, Colonel John Mills. Colonel Mills, you have just written a terrific new book, A War Against the Deep State. Tell us just a little bit about it and tell folks where they can buy it.
4: Well, thank you so much, Roger. This is a follow on to my first Book The Nation Will Follow, where I found myself in the middle of colleagues spying on candidate pre- uh, pre- uh, and then President Trump and me turning him into the Durham investigation. In book two, War Against the Deep State, I go over the foundations of the mass surveillance system, the modern mass surveillance system, which really started about 2007. I was very involved in it, and we started it with proper legal reviews and sound policy basis, and it just became perverted and weaponized against the American people, and it really provided the foundations for the unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government.
2: Uh, I'm very, and where can folks go to get this great book if they want to order it?
4: Well, thank you, Roger. I think one of the best places to go if you want, because I always get asked about signed copies. Hey, go go to my store, Lindell, my store, and use a code. Where is your code, Roger? Huh?
2: Stone, my uh, code stone. stone. So yeah. so folks, folks, you can go to uh, mystore.com, use uh, promo code stone, and you can get a signed copy of Colonel Mills' a great book. Excellent, excellent answer. Uh, Colonel Mills, uh, we learned almost two weeks ago now that former CIA Director John Brennan reached out to the intelligence services of the so-called Five Eyes Nations, those would be the English-speaking allies, and asked them to conduct a surveillance and to bump, which to me means entrap some 26 associates of President Donald Trump uh, among whom, to my surprise, not, I was included. Uh, This was prior to any public discussion of the falsified Steele dossier or the uh, false narrative that the Democratic National Committee had been hacked uh, by Russian intelligence. To my knowledge, there is no probable cause uh, for this surveillance. Uh, do you think we will ever see justice served or, or any consequences against those who perpetrated these shocking and, I believe, illegal actions?
4: Uh, wow, Roger, great. Yes, uh, in one word, we're starting to see it. It's called mcgonagall McGonagall, you know, never trust the counterintelligence officer. It's like somebody who always volunteers to be the weight control officer for a military unit. They're always the fluffiest. But now you gotta watch you know, ever since Jesus James Angleton departed the CIA, we haven't really had good counterintelligence.
2: All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I have 10 more questions that I'm dying to ask. So, Colonel Mills, uh, in the very near future, we're going to have you back here on the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio. In the meantime, folks, uh, Colonel Mills' new book, The War Against the Deep State, uh, by Colonel John Mills, with a foreword by my good friend, Ed Martin. Uh, you can you can find it uh, at mystore.com, uh, but you can also find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Now, those copies won't be signed, but get this book, folks. I have ordered it. Mine has just arrived. I've thumbed through it. It looks terrific. Uh, I really strongly urge you to get it. Thank you, uh, Colonel John Mills, uh, cyber security expert, extraordinaire for joining us today on the roger stone show
1: this is the roger stone show on 77 wabc
2: a man who's gone through hell but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him not everybody but people love him and respect him roger stone
1: now here's roger stone
2: Welcome back, folks. This is uh, The Roger Stone Show here on 77 WABC. Now would be an ideal time for you to go to the App Store and get the 77 WABC radio app downloaded to your phone so you don't miss any of the great interviews like the one we're about to have. I'm very pleased and honored today to have Pastor Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Uh, He is an evangelist and pastor of the Revival Today Church uh, in both Pittsburgh and Fort Worth. Uh, I was honored to be his guest several days ago, and I invited him because, well, he is a man who is committed to the truth, not just His truth, but the broader truth. Uh, He is a pastor who believes deeply that it is the role, indeed the duty, and the responsibility of those who believe in our Lord to get into the public arena on matters of important public policy. Uh, And for that, I admire him very much. Uh, Pastor Shuttlesworth, thank you so much for joining us on the Roger Stone show.
3: Thanks for having me on Roger. And I'm glad unlike with me that we're on radio because I'm sure you're wearing a Ralph Lauren purple label suit. And I look like I just got kicked out of a methadone clinic, but nobody can see me right now. Uh,
2: The truth is I'm wearing a Roger Stone did nothing wrong. uh, (laughs) T-shirt and, and, and a pair of jeans. Uh, but, All right, good. Uh, Sounds uh, good. We're both on radio. But the good news, I've got a face for radio, so it works out very well. <laughs> Thanks uh, for having me on, uh, Pastor Shuttlesworth. Uh, you recently visited the uh, the border in El Paso. You had yeah. a uh, an excellent posting, which is actually pe- which is actually pinned uh, on your ex, formerly known as Twitter profile. By the way, folks, I strongly urge you to go to J.D. Shuttlesworth uh, on X so you can follow his great programming. He does a a terrific news program, also active on radio. But uh, you specifically say, you ask this, I guess, semi-rhetorical question, although it's a real question. How do you get from a Middle Eastern terror cell to the Mexican border. Now we know from official documents that the uh, that the border patrol folks uh, have detained, uh, I think it was a hundred and seventy-eight known terrorist list suspects, which right. of course raises the question of how many have entered into the country that they didn't detain. Uh, Talk, talk to us about your observations, what you saw in El Paso, what you see happening at our border.
3: Well, that, that was my reason for going down to see the border. I, I wanted to know, I know people are coming up from Venezuela right now in number, and that's a problem with, with the violent gangs. But the thing that concerned me is like you said, how do you, if you look on a map, there's no way to get from Yemen to Kansas city without, you can't fly there and, uh, your passport would get rejected, and you can't even fly to Mexico. So you'd have to sail on a, com- on a cargo ship as an unofficial passenger. And the waters you would have to go through are controlled by Somali oil pirates and, and Yemeni terrorist cells. So I asked the um, – I won't say which agencies because they're good guys, the guys I talked to, and they weren't allowed to officially comment. But I asked them that. I said, how do you get from Yemen to, to the Mexican border? And then I said, the- if the cartels – are in charge of trucking people across into Texas and Arizona, then would it be safe to assume that the cartels are paying the fee to sell the, the terror cells over and thus have shaken hands with, with our jihadist terrorist enemies? They said that would be safe to assume. So then I said, all right, well, that gets you to the Mexican border. I said, now, I said, I'm not accusing you, but o- over your heads. I said, if the cartels control the border and the crossing. Would it all, you can't tell me that our federal government that has the ability and has recorded all my text messages and phone calls doesn't know that those people are coming across? I said, so much like with the drug trafficking, is it safe to assume that there's people high up in federal government that have said to themselves, rather than stop this, why not take a cut of the hundred billion dollars a year plus uh, to, to our agencies or personally? And, and oversee it. I said, because for me, that's the only way you could explain why there was such a violent reaction by the government to sue Texas when they went to close the border. Why would you care? Why, for the first time, would you care about the border to keep it open unless it was going to take money out of your pocket? And obviously, if you're doing deals with the cartels, you know, there's going to be more of a problem than just your revenue stream drying up if you don't hold up your end of the deal. And they all smiled. And said, "We're not allowed to comment because we're an apolitical organization." But I'll just say that's a very interesting observation that you've made. So, I, I mean that that to me, that to me, even though I'm a pastor and I am pro-life, that to me makes me a single-issue voter even higher than abortion. I mean, President Trump got Roe v. Wade overturned, so that's that's in the rearview mirror. That's kicked back to the states. To me, that border, we're heading up on Ramadan. I pray we make it through the month without there being any kind of problem. But if there is a problem, you can't just pretend it happened and what a shame and keep Boston in prayer, keep Chicago in prayer. You can't do that because you facilitated uh, our enemies infiltrating our country. And and again, Venezuelan street gangs are one thing. You start taking jihadist terror cells, they're not looking to beat a girl to death at a college, as horrible as that is. They're looking to do major 9-11 type damage and you're allowing them to come into the country for profit.
2: Yeah, you really summed this up extremely well when you said, uh, quoting you, uh, either the United States military and the government is unable to secure our southern border, which would mean that foreign terror cells have already overrun our country, possess uh, control of United States ports of entry and thus control the United States, or, you wrote, The United States military and government is unwilling to secure the southern border because they, the CIA, the FBI, other high-ranking government officials, decided to enjoy a share of revenue involved in this operation rather than fulfill their sworn duty as elected officials to uphold the Constitution and protect the United States of America. This, This makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, Uh, I long ago determined that these are not misguided policies by well-meaning liberals who are just naive about uh, the fact that our country is being flooded uh, by illegal migrants. That is in turn causing a horrific spike in crime. Uh, It is causing uh, a fentanyl crisis. Uh, it is uh, it is bankrupting cities and counties and states, which in many cases are actually required by law to provide social services for these illegals, which requires them to cut services for American citizens and taxpayers. Uh, to pretend that this issue is going to go away, or that President Joe Biden in his upcoming Uh, state of the union address can somehow wave a magic wand and make this go away. That seems uh, entirely unrealistic to me.
3: Yeah. I mean, you, you sleep better at night if you're under the assumption that we have a bunch of stupid people in government that don't know what they're doing. But then when you flip the switch and realize that, yeah, there are stupid people in government, but there are, there's also very intelligent people that know exactly what they're doing. And, and and like we talked about when we were together, there's people that hate the foundation of this country so much, the Judeo-Christian foundation of the nation that I, I think they'd like to see it leveled and rebuilt the way they want it built. And I don't, I don't know how, as much as I would like to take the counterpoint to what I'm saying, when you think it through, you know, don't tell me you can't seal up the border. And I passed here in Texas, so this is not a derogatory. But you, you get 100 rednecks down there in Ford F-150s, and they seal that, that one pass up in 36 hours, buying razor wire themselves and, and pushing people back across the border. So don't tell me some Texans and a couple of people from South Dakota that drove down can seal up the border in less than two days, and, and our government can't do it. I mean, Trump, and that's what irritates me about the Republican Party. Trump. That was his first order of business. They couldn't find eight billion dollars to give him, to, to give Border Patrol and, and uh, the Department of Homeland Security what they need on the southern border. And now you just see him two hundred billion at a shot, a quarter trillion at a shot, shipping it overseas again. You know, once you once you understand money laundering, Hunter Biden's paintings for half half of a million, and Ukraine and the southern border, it starts making sense how people are in office for 300000 a year and retire worth $300,000, $400 million in accounts that we know about.
2: Yeah, we see uh, a Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has uh, at long last announced his retirement. Now, I knew Mitch when he was a, a county judge uh, in Kentucky. He didn't have the proverbial pot to urinate in, shall we say. Uh, yet today he is a multi-multi-millionaire. I think it was Harry Truman who said, show me a man who gets rich in politics and I'll show you a crook. Uh,
1: Great quote. Very,
2: very, very well put. What do you say, Pastor, to those who say pastors should stick to the spiritual uh, and should really not get involved in Politics. I don't mean elective politics. I'm not talking about yeah, telling people who, who to vote for, who not to vote for, but shouldn't get involved in these larger public debates over issues that I think are crucial to the country.
3: I would say two things. Number one, and you know, I understand everybody might not be able to follow this train of thought, but at its deepest root, these things are spiritual. Anytime you've seen America undergo a revival, a church revival when Billy Graham was storming the nation. There were all kind of policies that, that just happened to follow because the Bible changes people's hearts. And the Bible says, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their I will revive their land or their nation. So God, God has an interest in nations not collapsing. It's it's the devil. The Bible says about the devil that on Judgment Day they'll say, is this the one that weakened the nations? You know, Satan is interested in in the disorder and anarchy of nations, and God is interested in the order and prosperity of nations. You are not a true minister if all you do is is give a 30-minute speech on Sunday and and then let your country rot. A a true minister should have a heart, not just for his church and his congregation, but for his nation— like Billy Graham had. Billy Graham was not on a mission to grow his ministry. Billy, it's not expedient to rent stadiums, to speak to people that are unbelievers. You know, that, that's a major financial loss. But he did that for, for 60 years because he, he cared about America. And he wanted to see America and the American people change. The second thing I'd say is I would be happy to stay out of politics if it was 1994. Democrats had the same view as, of marriage that Republicans had. Basically, the political spectrum was not that different. You know, you had, you had Democrats for workers' rights, basically, and Republicans for, for business owner rights. And every nobody got involved in church stuff. When you start telling me that you're going to take my nonprofit status as a church or shut me down for hate speech or take, take my revenue if I refuse to marry two same-sex individuals as a pastor— you got me involved. What can I talk about that hasn't been politicized? They used to leave people to raise their own families. Now you want to be you want to take children out of the home if they're misgendered by their parent. You push first. So don't. I'm not going to sit back and watch America turn into Europe, where there used to be churches everywhere and everybody. You know, it was a different continent. And then you overrun it with with uh, your liberal policies and shut the church down and destroy the nation. If you want to do that, that's fine. But you can't do the traffic can't be all one way. You can't attack the Bible and the church and the family and how Americans live their life, and then just tell me to be quiet. Have you ever noticed any pastor that gets involved in politics, if it's to advance left-wing ideologies, they're never called a Christian nationalist. It's only if you try to advance conservative Bible. Uh, Values that now, hey, stay out of politics. They never tell the liberal ministers to stay out of politics. So I'm not playing along.
2: Yeah, I I agree entirely. Uh, Look, I I attend church at uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. It's a great church founded by the great Dr. D. James Kennedy, who when I worked for Ronald Reagan, I had the honor of meeting. Our church was dedicated by the great Billy Graham. Our church has been cited by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. Never once from the pulpit at our church has our pastor ever told people how to vote. Not once. Yes, he talks about the broader cultural issues from a, from a biblical uh, and Christian point of view. So you're right. It is absolutely one sided. And, and I'm not sure if I should be insulted. When they call me a Christian nationalist or not. I mean, let's look at this. I'm a Christian. Yes. I reaffirmed my faith in Christ. I was, I was reborn in the blood of the cross. I'm proud of it. I take uh, some mocking from elitist liberals about it, but I don't care about that. It's changed my life in so many ways. And am I a nationalist? Well, if that means that I love my country. Yeah, then I guess I'm a Christian nationalist. But they give it this negative connotation that's very, very hard to understand. Folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, we're talking with Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth. And uh, this is The Roger Stone Show. We will be right back to continue this great discussion.
1: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.
2: Welcome back. This is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio. We're here every Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, where we like to talk politics, news, history, style, culture, food, uh, you name it. So thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, you can always listen to us uh, worldwide where we're streaming in 73 countries at wabcradio.com. We're uh, talking to Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth, uh, who is uh, joining us uh, on the air now. Uh, delighted to have him with us. And we're talking about the role of, uh, of uh, of Christians uh, in modern-day society. Uh, and we were talking uh, about uh, this, what's become uh, an appellation that they spit at you. You're a Christian nationalist. Uh, how do you read that, uh, Pastor?
3: I, I agree with your comments about it. I don't understand the insult. I am a Christian, and I the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. All that love thee will prosper. But that was written by somebody living in Jerusalem. You can't prosper in a nation that you hate. So I am pro-America. I understand the Bible wasn't written in America, but I, whatever nation I was going to live in, I would want that nation to do better and, and not worse. And if you notice, in 2016, it was white nationalists, but the church the church is a very strong b- voting block. It's about 20, 20%, and they can't have full reign over the United States with a, with a church that's involved correctly in politics. So what they're trying to do is weaken it from within and make you feel bad. You know, if, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're not voting for Donald Trump, you're worshiping Donald Trump. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always trying to move you to the left. There's never any, you worship Biden or these Christians that vote for Biden have made him their God. It's just trying to weaken church people enough that they feel bad about getting involved in politics. The other thing, America is a representative government and a, re- a republic. Why why is one group supposed to be completely unrepresented in politics? I, there's no argument for, for the quote unquote Christian nationalists. I'm a Christian and like every other group, I, I have a voice in my country and I don't feel bad about it. Uh,
2: when I visited your church last Thursday, uh, you know, obviously I, I'm a political analyst. I'm a political animal. Uh, but I did say, and I really believe this, that prayer, which has played such an important role in my own life in recent years, that prayer is a crucial, crucial element uh, of, the, uh, of the essential and necessary victory of constitutional liberties and freedom uh, in this country. Uh, speak to that for a moment, if you would.
3: Well... And any satanic or witchcraft group traces their roots back to Babylon. Babylon was the most wicked uh, nation or state in the history of the world. And so there was one man there named Daniel, when you read the book of Daniel in the Bible, and all of the government leaders and every evil person said, we can't do what what we want to do unless we can get this one guy to stop praying. That's how he ended up in the lion's den. So the power of prayer... It is unable to be uh, 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 defined. It, It is, Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and your command will be obeyed. Talking about prayer. So prayer is not just to mumble under your breath and feel peace. Focused prayer, Jesus said, causes mountains to move. And obviously he was talking in an analogy. You're not trying to move Pikes Peak to New Hampshire. It's immovable things, things that look impossible where it's impossible with man, never with God. For with God, all things are possible. And the way you tap into that power is by prayer. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. When you ask, God's a prayer answering God. And so for people to pray, that's what you can, you can almost feel the irritation of the devil that with 60 years of public school indoctrination and, and, and Viacom and movies, he can't get American people— to stop believing in God and stop praying. And that's why when you always hear it, one thing that irritates me about conservatives, they always, you know, it's almost like they're already defeated. Did you hear what they're doing? They're going to do this. Nothing's final. Because the one thing the Bible shows is that the the enemy can have a huge army of powerful people and have a plan he's ready to execute. And one person, one woman, one man, think of this. If one woman got abortion legalized and one woman got prayer taken out of school, what can one woman or one man do who decides to to turn in the other direction and begins to use God's power to affect their nation? That's the power of prayer. Uh,
2: I saw this on your show the other night when somebody called in and they were extraordinarily defeatist. It was like, no, it's all over. Uh, You know, we're going to lose the next election. We're going to lose our country. Uh, you were great because you're absolutely right. Jesus Christ can do anything. I've experienced it in my own life. My own wife now, uh, after being diagnosed with aggressive stage four cancer, immediately after my pardon, thanks to the healing power of Jesus Christ, uh, she is now two and a half years cancer free. She's doing great. That could not have happened without prayer. The doctors told us it couldn't happen. They actually said it would not happen. It could not happen, uh, but it has. So I've experienced the power of prayer in my own life. Uh, it, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a vital element. For a hard-boiled political operative like me to include prayer in my arsenal of weapons just shows you the profound change that I've been through and the, and the new prism Uh, through which uh, I see uh, the world. People ask me all the time, you did the other day, about Donald Trump and his faith. Uh, He is a man of faith. I've known him 45 years, but kind of like uh, Richard Nixon, uh, he has never been comfortable talking about his faith. He didn't think it belonged in the public arena. He went regularly to Norman Vincent Peale's church there on Fifth Avenue, uh, in uh, in New York City, but just as the great Billy Graham uh, and Dr. Peel both had to urge in the beginning Vice President Nixon to talk more openly about his faith, Trump is beginning to talk more about his faith, which I think is vitally, vitally important. Uh, I thought uh, his his remarks to the uh, Religious Broadcasters Association meeting in Nashville uh, were among his best remarks ever. I seem to be a little surprised there weren't many Catholics there, but that's a different question.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I like uh, I, I like the journey President Trump's been on. For me, I've been I've been trying to get Christians to understand that, that someone's religion should not pay, play a, 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 a much of a role in who you vote for. It's like when you charter an aircraft. I want the best pilot. I don't care if he's, I'm telling you as a preacher, I don't care if he's Buddhist. I don't care if he's an atheist. I, I want him to fly the plane. I don't care how much he prays. In fact, if I hear him praying from the cockpit, it would make me nervous. So I like, get the best man for the job and vote policy because Christians can be easily duped. I mean, Joe Biden will make an appearance, I'm sure, a few times at church before the election so people see him go to church and assume he's he's, he's, a, he's a righteous man. It's not – you can pick apart anybody's personal life, which is what they always go after Trump for. How can any Christian vote for Trump when he did X, Y, and Z? We're not voting for a savior. We're, we're voting for somebody to run the executive branch, and you judge people based on their policies. Has Trump made mistakes? I'm sure. But is he? are his policies trying to promote the mistakes he's made? No, they're not. And, and the other thing that Christians need to understand – is Donald Trump is not running against Jesus Christ. So you notice there when he ran in 2016, they they say this stuff about Trump that's negative, but negative compared to who? Because there's only two candidates, essentially. So any criticism you want to levy morally about Trump, you could do it tenfold to Hillary Clinton, and the same with, with Joe Biden. So they make this false dichotomy. How can you, as a Christian, vote? I'm not voting for a savior. I'm voting for a president. I'm well aware of the mistakes he's made, just like I'm well aware of the mistakes I've made. But I want to know what are his policies. And his policies align with the Bible. I'm comfortable voting with him, and there's things about Joe Biden. I would have serious questions for a Christian that voted for Joe Biden out of the Bible how they justify policies, like open borders. Open borders is facilitating human trafficking. There's 21 – you know, those children that come across the border – Just get shipped off to a house. There's no way to check who's there. And there's 21 missing from a town of 20,000 in Virginia. That's one town. You are facilitating under your false compassion, you're facilitating human trafficking. You know, no no two ways about it. Those are policy things. So it's not about who's the better Christian, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. What are their policies? Who's for order? Who's for securing a border? Who's for economic prosperity? That's the only thing that can truly help bring people out of poverty, not shifting other people's money around. So I wish Christians would start to look more policy than than personality.
2: All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Folks can go to RevivalToday.com, RevivalToday.com, to find uh, Pastor J.D. Shuttlesworth. Pastor, I want to thank you again so much for joining us today. On The Roger Thank Stone you. Show.
1: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.
2: Welcome back. This is The Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC Radio. We truly are the crown jewel of AM radio. Joining us now is one of the country's, uh, I think, most talented and brilliant lawyers. David Schoen is a criminal defense lawyer who has specialized in both rights and ballot access cases as well. Uh, He represented uh, President Donald Trump uh, in the second impeachment, I believe. Uh, And uh, we're very privileged to have him join us now to talk about the latest developments in the legal tsunami against President Donald Trump. David Schoen, welcome to The Roger Stone Show.
0: Thank you. The privilege is mine for being here. Thank you.
2: So uh, just to kind of review the bidding, uh, in the January 6th case, this has been brought uh, against uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, the Trump attorneys asserted at the trial trial, court level, uh, their contention that the president was immune from prosecution uh, based on the, the the law and the Constitution. That was rejected by Judge Chukton. Uh The Trump lawyers were in the process of preparing to appeal to the D.C. Court of Appeals. Special Counsel Jack Smith Uh, took the rather unprecedented, or I should say at least unusual step of seeking to overstep the appeals court uh, and take that decision directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, making it very clear that the timing of this case, in my opinion, very clearly tied to the timing of our next presidential election rather than uh, the purposes of serving justice the Supreme Court declined to hear the case without it first going through the D.C. Appeals Court. The D.C. Appeals Court, a three-judge panel, nonetheless pretty much expedited uh, their hearing and decision and was not surprising, as expected. They ruled against President Trump, uh, and uh, that sets the stage now to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, until last week, it was not certain that the U S Supreme court would agree to hear this. They're not required to do so, uh, but they announced that they would uh, accept cert and they would hear the case, which seems to have made the people at MSNBC and CNN go out of their ever loving minds. Uh, What do you make of all this, David?
0: It's very interesting. I also wasn't sure that the Supreme court would take this case, but I think it was totally appropriate, but you're right. Yeah. I've seen, uh, Some of the so-called pundits on television, um, guests who uh, I'm not really sure should be on the shows, given their background and their bias, but um, say that uh, they thought it was arrogant for the court to take it because the D.C. Circuit opinion was so thorough and so on. It's absolutely appropriate for the United States Supreme Court to hear this case. It's a monumental case. They decided the case of Nixon versus Fitzgerald. In 1982 which was the civil component of this in a sense that is they decided that a former president has absolute immunity from civil liability being sued that is <clears throat> for official acts taken while in office um, and they said this extends to the outer perimeter in quotes of his duties of office and the reasons for that are essentially that there's a concern about a separation of powers about some other branch of government intruding on the authority and the functions of the executive branch um for example you know decisions come up in wartime or otherwise and the president can't be in a position of having to look over his or her shoulder to say well if i make this decision it's best for the country but i might face some civil liability and so um now this is the criminal side of that and i would suggest that the framework in nixon versus fitzgerald provides a, a framework that would work in the criminal Realm as well. If we basically, there's a limited inquiry. Was it an official act within the outer perimeters of the official duties of the office? If so, then there's immunity from criminal liability. And I say, in this case, given the subject matter of the uh, D.C. case, this was an official act, and certainly within the outer perimeters, President Trump had information from sources he trusted that there was a question about election integrity. He took steps that he believed were appropriate based on advice he has been given to address that election integrity question, what the vice president's duties are under the Electoral Count Act are up in the air, as even foremost experts on election law have said. And therefore, I don't think this criminal case ever should have been brought. But we'll see what the court says now. The court took it on a relatively narrow question. The question before the Supreme Court is whether and to what extent a former president is immune from criminal liability for acts taken uh, that are alleged to have been official acts while in office. So it seems on the face of it to potentially eliminate one of the questions uh, that the Trump team raised, that is whether there's double jeopardy if you bring criminal charges now after an acquittal in the impeachment trial for, after all, these were the kinds of charges brought in the impeachment case that he was acquitted on, um, it may be included in this question, and they may well try to argue that it is. I think there's a reasonable argument that that uh, is included in here. That's an issue that the Department of Justice took up in two thousand, near 2000. The Office of Legal Counsel considered it and really agonized over whether there's a double jeopardy problem in such a circumstance. They concluded that there probably is not a double jeopardy bar, but it's that's still an open question for a court.
2: Uh, if they were to decide that Trump has no immunity for in his post-presidential period, would they not be opening other former presidents uh, up to uh, litigation and maybe even prosecution for numerous controversial acts? Uh, for example, the, the killing of U.S. citizens with drones, uh, to take an extreme example. But uh, aren't they opening Pandora's box here?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, it'd be subject to statute of limitations, but it's both prospective and uh, retrospective. I mean, former presidents within the statute of limitations, statute of limitations would have to be concerned because, you know, look, we see history being rewritten all the time on things that we believed at the time and probably correctly were necessary actions uh, to preserve the United States interests and the safety of our citizens. Um, in retrospect, someone says now, well, those really were in violation of international law. So that we have to worry now about president being prosecuted for that, and in the future, any president would have to look over his shoulder and make a decision weighing the country's in best interests against his personal interests and in avoiding prosecution. We cannot have; it's completely unworkable. If we by the way, if yeah, we're referring to up. official acts, I, where I disagree is, and you'll remember this well, during the oral argument in the D.C. Circuit. President Trump's lawyer, Mr. Sauer, was given a hypothetical about whether if a president orders uh, Hit team, se- SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent, that person would have immunity. And the answer that Trump lawyer gave was, well, that person would ha- the president would have to be impeached first and convicted and can only then be uh, criminally prosecuted. I think that's just dead wrong. The simple answer to that question was, no, that's not in any realm within the outer perimeters of official duties. It could not be considered an official act, and therefore you take it outside this uh, Nixon versus Fitzgerald framework. That's what part of what makes the framework workable.
2: Yeah, presumably the president is going to argue that within his constitutional requirement that he see that the laws of the nation are faithfully executed, uh, that uh, an honest, uh, fair. Legitimate election is uh, uh, among those responsibilities. Uh, I presume that that is what he's uh, going to argue. Uh, I'm surprised that the case uh, that the court has taken it, but this really is about timing, isn't it? In other words, uh, Mr. Smith has moved very, very aggressively uh, in the so-called documents case, which is a much more complicated case, and harder for me as a layman to understand, maybe harder for everyone to understand, he actually wanted to go to trial this past January, which seems to me to be for a case that complicated, that involves classified and top secret documents, which can't be presumably uh, fully used in court. Uh, isn't that kind of a, a breakneck speed for a, a litigation, or I should say for a prosecution of this magnitude? Oh,
0: absolutely. It's a shorter time frame than the average garden variety uh, case before that court. And, and you're talking here about issues that impact an election that the entire country has an interest in, that at least half of the country uh, you know, s- supports the person under attack. Um, no, it's very... Very troubling. But I, look, this, Mr. Smith has shown poor judgment in just about every situation uh, he's ever been in that's gotten any sort of public attention. Uh, I think of the John Edwards case, I think of the McDonald case in Virginia. Um, he's shown terrible judgment, but it seems to be a matter of self-aggrandizement for him.
2: Uh, I did see a filing in the documents case last week in which he actually argued that Trump's, who was president, retaining of top secret and classified documents was far more egregious and more serious uh, than those same actions by, at that point, uh, Vice President uh, and U.S. Senator Joe Biden. Uh, I almost don't know how they write this stuff with a straight face. Uh, I'm, by the way, just basing my opinion on the special counsel's report. The special counsel, Mr. Hur having been appointed uh, by US attorney Merrick Garland who could have chosen any sitting US attorney to be the special counsel i am merely reflecting his report which he clearly says that uh, that uh, that president biden willfully retained documents uh, in violation of the law Uh, The the two-tiered justice system here sometimes uh, really does boggle my mind, but then, of course, uh, I have lived it. Uh, Amazing news uh, this past week uh, that despite the fact that the Illinois State Board of Elections determined that it lacked the authority to remove Trump from the ballot, based on the events of January 6, 2021, that a traffic court judge in Cook County, Judge Tracy Porter, who serves uh, as a uh, judge in the traffic division of the Cook County, Illinois court system, uh, has ruled that President Trump cannot appear on the Illinois ballot. Now, Uh, David, you have vast experience on the issue of ballot access on behalf of uh, Democrats, Socialists, uh, Libertarians, minor party candidates, uh, major party candidates. This is a particular area of your expertise. Uh, Was the judge just looking for her 15 minutes here? Or or, or how do you think she justifies this unconstitutional ruling from someone who's clearly an activist Democrat judge.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think she wants to get her name out there. I think she wants to be a person who can now try to impact a national election. This is exactly, by the way, in magnified form, uh, what the Supreme Court was concerned about when they wrote in Anderson versus Celebreze, that a state has a lesser interest in a national election because some kind of state action affecting the ballot could really have an impact nationwide and it shouldn't beyond that state's borders, but it does in a presidential election. And so that's the, you know, potential effect she could have. Um, and she gave a very narrow window for this to be reviewed before the primary, um, all of which was knowing and intentional, of course. And as you say, the Illinois board had rejected this before and said it had to be decided by a judge. I think she's going to be slammed down immediately. I'm hopeful someone went into federal district court in Chicago in that northern district and got an injunction requiring the Illinois Election Board to put President Trump on the ballot. If they didn't, I actually think in this case they would have to redo the primary. That's happened before in Chicago in a special election um, when they played games with the ballot. Um, Mayor Washington, Harold Washington's former party. Um, But anyway, look, there's a history of this kind of thing in Cook County. Obviously, that's uh, the kind of thing. People joke about, but this is just outrageous. And she did it knowing, of course, that the Supreme Court has this 14th Amendment question under review right now. She knows as well as everybody else does, knows that that the Colorado case is going to be reversed. And what she did was essentially just copy the Colorado opinion In her opinion. Uh,
2: It is uh, it's very, very interesting. Uh, This is uh, we see this in multiple states. Uh, the the Supreme Court it is uh, believed will rule uh, on the Colorado case as it's called uh, that uh, trump cannot be barred from the ballot because uh, he has not been convicted any place of the crime of insurrection, uh, and uh, other arguments, including the fact that the 14th Amendment, Article 3, specifically pertains to officers of the United States. There are other Supreme Court decisions that have ruled that the president and the vice president are not officers uh, of the United States. If the Colorado case uh, turns out, as most legal scholars, and most attorneys I know think it will, uh, would that end this fight in the many states to bar Trump from the ballot?
0: Yeah, that will end this initiative. It'll slam this uh, <clears throat> Illinois judge and it'll send a message out to stop the nonsense for the 14th Amendment. The thing that is so uh, disingenuous and hypocritical to me is you see people out there who at one time had legitimate um, credentials, uh, guys like Neil Katyal and. Uh, it was on MSNBC regularly, it was a solicitor general at some point. I don't put Andrew Weissman in the category of people who have legitimate credentials. He held an office that was legitimate, but in my view, he's the most ethically bankrupt lawyer I've ever dealt with. But, um, but these people put out these opinions that, oh, the Colorado case is absolutely right, and there's no way that it's going to be reversed and so on. It's just disingenuous. That case was a nonstarter um, all, at all times. It was just an effort by Norm Eisen and these other people obsessed with trying to find some way to keep the voters from voting for president Trump. Um, It was a, it was a very misguided effort that really abuses our constitution. There's so many reasons why it can't apply to keep them off the ballot and so on. Um, Yeah. But so the decision in the Colorado case will stop that. I don't know how the decision is going to come down. I personally think the best way to decide this case is on a matter of process. That is there's nothing in, Section three of the 14th Amendment, it tells you what the burden of proof would be, who's to decide uh, whether the person is uh, barred from holding office under that thing, under the uh, section. There's no process as whether you get a jury trial, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. If you consider the 1869 decision by Supreme Court Justice Simon Chase, that it's not self-executed, meaning Congress has to act to give it teeth. And that's Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. I would also seem to indicate that. Well, either Congress has acted or they haven't. We have an insurrection statute, 18 U.S.C. 2383. And they knowingly, Jack Smith, did not charge President Trump with that. Um, it was suggested to him by Norm Eisen and his crowd, but they didn't do it because they couldn't do it because there's no evidence of any insurrection like that that you could present to a jury. Um, And so you can't circumvent all of the due process and right to fair trial, uh, rights to fair trial, rights the Constitution guarantees by now using this Section 14, uh, Amendment 14, Section 3 uh, gimmick to try to uh, bar him from being on the ballot.
2: All right, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking uh, to criminal defense lawyer, civil rights lawyer, uh, David Schoen, who has represented President Donald Trump in the second impeachment. This is The Roger Stone Show, and we'll be right back with a little more of David Schoen. Stand by.
1: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC.
2: We're back on The Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC, and we're talking to noted criminal defense attorney uh, David Schoen, to my mind, perhaps uh, the single most brilliant attorney certainly that I've ever met, and uh, a man who can be seen often on CNN and Fox, and uh, a man who's never fears to go into the lion's den and ask tough questions. Uh, David, I should point out, is not a Republican or a conservative. He's a fine attorney who's represented uh, parties and individuals of all political persuasions, but he is a civil libertarian who believes deeply in the U.S. Constitution and understands it perhaps uh, better than most Americans, to say the least. We are honored to have him with us. Uh, David, let's uh, switch to the New York cases uh because so many people in our audience are interested in them, uh, that Judge Engeron decided against uh, President Donald Trump in the so-called valuations case. This is the case in which uh, President Trump and his real estate development country, company and members of his family uh, who are executives in that company and others uh, borrowed money from banks, uh, While they did submit their own appraisals and their own estimation of the value of the collateral in those loans, uh, the banks in question all conducted their own due diligence, sought their own appraisals, decided that these were uh, solid loans, that there was a high probability that they would not only be, be paid back, but to make money on their loan. Indeed, they collected some $40 million in interest. Everyone was paid back in full. In fact, in some cases, some of them were paid back uh, early. Every single bank from whom the Trump Organization borrowed money uh, testified for Trump in the trial. Uh, but to, to no one's surprise, Jen, Judge Engeron, uh, who is a, an elected judge, in a elected in a partisan manner, He's a Democrat, Uh, not only ruled against him, but the part I find more shocking has levied a fine that is uh, astronomical, almost a half billion dollars, seeks to enjoin President Trump from running his own companies, controlling his own assets. Uh, But then, uh, to me, this is the most shocking part makes the appeal of that decision, which would you would think would be normal under our system of jurisprudence, uh, prohibitive based on his requirement for a, a, a bond of tens of millions, I guess it's actually hundreds of millions of dollars, which seems to me, at least, to be a violation of the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. What's going on here?
0: Well, first of all, this is a case that I have to believe as a person who works in this system and believes in the system that this case will be reversed in full. It may take going up to the United States Supreme Court, I'm afraid. Um, the law at issue here is a crazy law that New York imposed in about 1956. Um, it's an executive law, 6312, um, and it gives the judge really unfettered power. Um, if the attorney general Determines that in their view, there's something akin to fraud that occurred. They can bring such an action. And then it's for the judge to order the relief he or she deems proper. That's There's no standard to it. That's just it. So as you say, an elected judge, an elected prosecutor who ran on a platform of getting President Trump no matter what um, comes up with something like this. But it, I've misled you when I say that they found some kind of fraud, because it doesn't require that. As even Judge Aidan acknowledged in his opinion... For fraud, we traditionally, for centuries, have required um, reliance on some fact to one's detriment, that the fact was a material fact, that there were losses involved, that there were victims involved, and all of that. And as as the acknowledges, none of that applies under this executive law 6312. You don't have to have a victim. You don't have to have a loss. You don't have to have reliance. You don't have to have materiality. You just have to find that you did something that they believe to be wrong or misleading in your uh, in your filings, whether anybody relied on that to their detriment or not. And as you say, we know here that isn't the case. The banks testified. They love these loans. They love doing business with Trump. Um, it's They're entitled to discount whatever they want to discount in order to get a volume of business, in order to deal with the brand. Um, they did all of those things. They would love to have more business from Trump. They did their own due diligence, as banks always do when they lend money. And as Trump's disclaimer in his filings, uh, re, you know, required them to do. Um, so it's outrageous. But, you know, as you say, um, first of all, I think it's going to be reversed on constitutional grounds. It has to be. Um, they excessive fines and for other reasons. I think the denial of a right to jury. There's a 2011 case from this same court, Justice Ramos in the trial court in New York. It's called the Supreme Court in New York. Um, said that there's no right to a jury trial here. Now that's because the relief is supposed to be equitable. It's not supposed to be primarily based on damages. Well, that's not this case. This judge ordered, as you say, almost a third of a billion, that are going to be half a billion dollars in damages. That's punitive. And that's not what the statute was intended to do. But you're right. The most immediate concern is this idea of having to put up uh, an appeal bond, either putting up the uh, full amount of the money or buying a bond from a, uh, someone else who's going to secure it and literally throwing tens of millions of dollars out the window—that can't be in anyone's interest. But that's exactly what's required here. Um, and so, and they didn't have to. It didn't have to be that way. The kinds of issues they raise should have permitted an appeal without any kind of bond. So far, that's been rejected by a single judge in the appellate division, the Intermediate Appellate Court in New York. It's going to go before the full court. Then it will go before the New York Court of Appeals if necessary. But that—it's just not fair to not allow a litigant to litigate these important issues of public interest. And no responsible business person has a half a billion dollars just lying around in cash not being put to use for stakeholders in that person's business.
2: All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Let me thank our uh, august uh, guest, David Schoen, criminal defense attorney. Uh, Again, in my opinion, without any question, one of the most brilliant legal, strategic thinkers and analysts in the country. David, we are honored to have you here on The Roger Stone Show. And I thank you for giving up this time on your Sunday afternoon. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Honored to be here. You're an icon.
2: It's not what my wife says, but thank you. Uh, all right, folks, uh, this has been it for the Roger Stone Show today on WABC Radio. If you like what we're doing here, you can go to StoneZone.com. It's absolutely free. Uh, and to see uh, here are past shows. There's a po- portal to WABC Radio. Also, uh, our daily show at Stone Zone. Uh, it is available there. Uh, but in the meantime, be sure you hang on because my good friend Joe Piscopo will be right along with Sundays with Sinatra. And you definitely don't want to miss that. I'm Roger Stone. This has been The Roger Stone Show. Until next Sunday, God bless you and Godspeed.